great love of Jesus. I pray that every single person in here, God, I pray that You would speak to them. I pray that their eyes would see the truth, the good news of the Gospel. I pray that their hearts would see, the eyes of their hearts would see as well. I pray that their ears would hear, their spiritual ears would hear the truth, and that we would be changed this morning. We thank You for Your love for us. We ask that You would put that on display here this morning. We trust that You will. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, Unconditional love. Unconditional love is a phrase that's thrown around quite generously. It's talked about a lot. People talk about unconditional love, loving without conditions. Um, Unconditional love in our world is confused with unconditional affirmation. Uh, unconditional affirmation, unconditional affirmation is this false understanding of unconditional love that just says, "Whatever I do, you approve of me." It's this demand that people lay on other people and say, "You don't get to tell me that I'm doing anything wrong. If you really love me, you'll let me do whatever I want to do." And that's not unconditional love. Parents are to love their children, and to love our children, we know, doesn't mean that we give them candy and. Uh, cotton candy every day for lunch and Snickers for dinner. Uh, We love them, so we do some things sometimes that they may not understand. But unconditional love is really difficult for us to understand because we live in a world of conditional love. I've talked to you about this before. Even our love for our children is conditional. The condition being, they're our children. We don't look across the aisle and look behind us and in front of us, and we don't look at the children that are in the room and love them the same way that we love our own children. There's a condition there. We love our children because they're our children in a special and a unique way. We certainly love all the children in this room, but not in the same way we love our own kids. But the love of God is so different because God's love is given... To sinners, his very enemy, he freely gives it as if we are his sons and daughters. He loves, and he actually loves sinners and his enemies in such a way that brings them into his family, and then he loves them as sons and daughters. The love of God is hard for us because we tend to think that God loved and saved us because of something in us. So God looked at us and saw our disposition and some way or another God's love for us came to us because we accepted His love and then He he rewarded us, us with giving us His love back. So many of us have the idea or the tendency to drift into thinking that if I behave a certain way, God's love is going to come from me with greater strength than if I behave badly. And God's love kind of gets turned into this Santa idea that we have that, and I need to be careful... He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. That kind of idea. If I do good, I get good. If I do bad, I get bad. I kept telling Ransom, hey buddy, you're going to get a bag of coal for Christmas. We didn't give him a bag of coal for Christmas. But But unconditional love is this weird thing because it's given freely and it's not based on us. That's hard for us because we in our life are conditioned to get to give something, to get something back. I want to give something, I want to offer something, and then get rewarded for it. But God's love is so different than what we think it is naturally. For the non-believer, the love of God is hard to think about because the only frame of reference for this idea of love that a non-believer has is cultural definitions of love. So how does the culture and how does the world define love? That's what I think love is. So when we begin to think in our world about love and tell people about the love of God, the first 
The first idea about love is a, a love that has a definition that's found in our culture and in our world. And so the love of God can even be a difficult thing to talk about to a non-believer because of definitions. But real love, real true love, is otherworldly. God has given love and it has a shape. It has a shape in the cross of Christ. And we're going to talk this morning about the love of God. And we, I think, know some of the love of God, but I think for many of us, myself included, all of us in this room, we can uh, drift from God's love. And it's good for us every once in a while to recalibrate, hopefully this happens every single Sunday for us, but to recalibrate, to look again, and just consider the truth that God loves you. He really loves you. He really loves me. And as Ray Ortland said it best, he said, or said it well, he said the thing about God's love is he, he goes and finds people on the wrong side of the tracks. And He loves them. And you and I are people on the wrong side of the tracks. On the enemy territory. And God has set His affection on us and He has loved us. And every once in a while, we need to come back to this truth. Wait a second. God loves me. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. I want to read the passage and then we'll walk through it like we typically do. Jude, verse 17, down through 23. Here's what it says. But you must remember, beloved... The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Jude does this on multiple occasions. He, he calls for people to remember a few things. And he's been talking about false teachers and he calls the church to remember a few things about false teachers. In verse 17 he says, Remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles. Remember what the apostles said. There's going to be false teachers who come. As he in weeks past in this letter has been addressing, as we've been walking through this, he's been addressing these false teachers. He, he begins to tell the church, say, hey, you shouldn't be shocked by this. This shouldn't come as a surprise to you. We were told that in the last days there were going to be people who come that scoff the truth and that lead people astray. And in fact, this is happening. People are coming in and preaching a false gospel and leading people astray. It's interesting the phrase that he used. He says, he, he says in the last time there will be scoffers. And this is a point of confusion for many. Um, let me just say it real quick. We are living in the last days. And that means Christ could come back today, and it means that Christ could come back in a thousand years. When Christ resurrected and the Holy Spirit ascended on the church in Acts chapter 2, we entered in the last days. The imminent return of Christ could be at any time. We don't know all the details. Certainly there are prophecies to be fulfilled, but we live in the last days. And the apostles warned, when the Spirit descends, when we enter in the last time period, there's going to be false teachers, and they're going to come around, they're going to be scoffers, and they're going to lead people astray. So he's just basically saying to us, don't be surprised. 
And we shouldn't be surprised today when we see people using the grace of God and twisting the, the grace of God and making it a way to self-gratify rather than self-sacrifice. To bring you up to speed, especially if you're new with us, uh, Jude, the book of Jude, is written by Jesus' little brother. And it's fascinating. Before Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus' brothers thought Jesus was crazy. They didn't believe in Him. But at some point along the way, Jude turns a corner. In the beginning of this letter, he says that my big brother, Jesus, I, I am his servant. I am Jesus, my big brother's slave, and he is my master and my Lord. Jude is changed by the power of the gospel, and no longer is he a mocker of his big brother, Jesus, but he's saying that my big bro brother, Jesus, he is my master and he is my Lord. And Jude writes, to, writes this letter to a group of people and he desires for this church, for the recipients of this letter, he wants for them mercy, peace, and love. And he wants that mercy, peace, and love to be multiplied to you. So as he's writing this along the way and giving warnings, his desire for us is that we would have love showered upon us. That we have mercy multiplied to us. And that we'd have peace come to us Wave after wave after wave after wave. You know, in the holiday season, when we're with family, uh, for many, we've talked about this, many people love, I mean, just family. And then uh, for, for some of you, you have an Uncle Eddie, okay, or Cousin Eddie, or whatever it is from Christmas vacation. And they show up, you didn't know they were showing up, and everything just goes crazy for Christmas time. Family is in turmoil, for some of you it's grief. Um, but when we talk about family, and we talk about the holidays... Um, we talk about discord, um, we think about mercy, love, and peace, and if you have discord, if you're in that, you know how much of a commodity mercy, love, and peace is during the holidays. If you don't have it, you want it. We have a dear brother, a dear friend of mine who is grieving during this holiday season. It's really, really hard for him, harder than he imagined it would be. So I appreciate Hank mentioning that earlier, and we talked about that before the service. It's such a good thing to know that we can pray for each other that are hurting. But in the holiday season, it's a good thing to remember that Jude wants for us, he wants mercy, peace, and love multiplied. So in the season of peace, in the season of love, this Christmas season, we can receive that this morning. So this morning, I pray that these things just come waving over us, just crashing in, crashing in. And he wanted to write... Jude wanted to write a letter about our common salvation, but these false teachers had been begun to infiltrate the church, and so he had some issues that he needed to address. And so the Holy Spirit wouldn't let this false teaching slide, so Jude begins to speak to these false teachers, and he gives warnings about judgment and hell, and he gives us profiles of a false teacher. But now, here's what Jude is going to do. After talking about these false teachers, he's going to turn the corner, as we've said that a couple times, and he's going to, instead of talking to the church and saying, hey, look out for these false teachers, he's going to turn to us, myself, all of us included, he's going to say, I have a few things I want to talk to you about. I've addressed the false teachers, now I want to talk to you. And I have instructions for you, and it's really good, it's good stuff. Directly from the Holy Spirit. And so, we've talked to the false teachers, now we're talking to us, the believers in the church. But as for you, beloved... He turns the corner. So that's where we're at this morning. We're getting some instruction from Jude. After addressing the false teachers, he gives us some words of wisdom. I want you to look at verse 20 and 21. 
as he gives instruction to the beloved, he makes an interesting statement in verses 20 and specifically in verse 21. But you, beloved, building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Okay. The command is given, keep yourself in the love of God. What on earth does that mean? Keep yourself in the love of God. If you, if you just kind of do a general reading of the book of Jude, it's kind of peculiar because at the beginning we're told that we're kept by the Lord, we're kept for Jesus Christ. And the letter ends with, God who is able to keep you, Hank's going to be preaching that next week, God who is able to keep you from stumbling. And, and we get this command to us, keep yourself in the love of God. And at first glance, that is a terrifying verse to me. It feels like it's a burden that's being lifted up, kind of put on my back to carry. And then it's up to me now to keep God's love upon me. And at first glance, the question that rises to the surface is a terrifying question. Well, how do I know if the love of God is upon me or not? How do I know if I'm keeping myself in God's love or not? Am I doing enough? Immediately I start thinking about works, or I start thinking about prayer life, or spiritual disciplines. How do I keep myself in the love of God? If I don't do a good enough job, am I going to fall out of the love of God? Are you kind of understanding where I'm coming from with the first reading of that verse? Keep yourself in the love of God. What does he mean by this command? Fortunately, fortunately, when we read this, when we think about what it doesn't mean, we can kind of answer what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God's love is dependent upon you to continue to earn it. Okay, so I want to out of the gate just say it doesn't mean that this command, keep yourself in the love of God, it's not up to you to do this. Or God's love is going to vanish. But there is a command for you. And there is a command for me. Now this is fascinating. Okay, the, the word in the Greek for keep also means observe. Observe. And this idea that this text is communicating is that we are to consciously keep ourselves in the love of God. Now there's an important distinction there. This is not meaning keep yourselves in the place that God will continue to love you, but it's commanding us to keep ourselves in the love of God. Meaning this, the love of God is here for you, but are you consciously under it? Are you aware of it? Are you thinking about God's love? The command for us is to keep God's love in front of us. If we're going to keep ourselves in the love of God, we need to think about it a lot. We need to talk about it a lot. This is not a conditional statement telling us that if we don't do a few things, God's love will vanish from us. But the command is for us to consciously observe ourselves in and under the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. Commentators have been quite helpful on this. And I want to read one specifically, uh, John Gill, who says something so helpful when we think, keep yourself in the love of God. Here's what he has to say. This is really interesting. Hang with me here. And, and kids, I'll try to explain it as best as I can. This command, so a command like, hey, go clean your room, all right? The response to our kids should be, okay, yes, mom and dad, right, kids? Parents, rarely it is like that. <laughs> It ends up like, go clean your room, son. 
Okay, and then I go clean the room for him. Um, command, this command to believers is to keep themselves in the love of God. That's the clear command. Keep yourself in the love of God. In other words, okay, here's what he says, to set the love of God before them. To keep the love of God constantly in view. To exercise faith in the love of God. To firmly believe in all of their interests, all of their life upon the love of God. And also to meditate or to think about the love of God. To give themselves up wholly to the thinking and contemplation of the love of God. To employ or work to, that their thoughts would constantly be thinking about God's love, which is the foundation of all of grace here and glory thereafter. It could be said to preserve themselves by it. I'm struggling against Satan's temptations today, or the snares of the world today, or the lust of the flesh today. Whenever Satan solicits us or calls us to sin or our flesh attempts to dominate us, saints, believers, should observe themselves and keep themselves in the love of God. You getting the difference here? That we should keep ourselves under and in the love of God. We should turn our mind to it. And it is a stronghold and a preservative for us against sin. Here's what he says. For the love of God and the continuing or walking in it doesn't depend on anything that can be done by us. Thank God. Nor is there any danger or real fear of believers falling from the love of God or losing it since it's unchangeable. But the meaning of the command is this. That though this grace of love cannot be lost, here's where many of us can drift, yet the believer's passion... The believer's passion for the love of God, your and my passion for the love of God, can dwindle. Our passion for the love of God can dwindle, and the people of God can grow cold and indifferent in our enjoyment of the love of God, and so we must make use of every proper means to put ourselves and keep ourselves in the love of God. It goes like this. Wake up in the, morning, in the morning, we have a difficult day, and we put ourselves outside of the love of God instead of keeping ourselves in the love of God. We go throughout the day, we have a difficult day, stressful, anxious, worrisome, difficult, things don't seem to be working right, and we are outside, not of God's actual love, but our experience of it, we are outside of the love of God. And we're living as if we are isolated, as if we are alone, as if God's love is not there for us. And Jude is saying, when you're passionless about the love of God, when you grow cold, I want you to keep yourselves in the love of God. And here's what Jude is going to do for us. He is going to give us three modifiers or three helps to keep ourselves in the love of God. To think about it. The fact that God loves us. He's going to give us three keys or three tools to say, if you'll do this, these aren't the exclusive tools, these aren't the exclusive keys, but if you'll do these things, it will help you move from indifference and passionless to passion it about the love of God. You will keep yourself in the love of God. And now, friends, I, I want this for myself. And during the holidays, during the Christmas time, and really all year long, I want this. For some people, seasons can be difficult, like actual seasons when it's cold outside. 
And when it's wet and dreary, you can actually be what old-timers called melancholy, sad. You can get down. There's times in our lives that we are not keeping ourselves in the front center. We aren't keeping the love of God front and center, and it's as if we're living outside of it. So what are these helps? What's going to guide us toward and back toward the love of God? Well, there's going to be three ways that we find to keep ourselves in the love of God. The first two ways we find in verse 20, and the second way we find the, the back part of verse 21. The first way or key to keeping ourselves in the love of God it's found in verse 20. Beloved, building yourself up in the most holy faith. We are commanded, if we're going to keep ourselves in the love of God, we are commanded to build ourselves up in the most holy faith. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. Specifically, this is a call. The command is plural. Build yourself. This is not a singular command. So this is not just to individuals in the room. This is to churches. This is to all believers. And the command comes to us plural. And the command that goes over us is to build ourselves up in the most holy faith. Or, more specifically, the most holy Christian faith. What is the most holy faith? Well, it is what has been preached by the apostles. It is the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the message that saves our souls, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we are called to build ourselves up in that most holy faith. And so believers are called to help each other out in this command, if we're to keep ourselves there. We are to help each other out in the understanding of the faith. That means we need each other. Two weeks ago or three weeks ago, James, in our kind of corporate share time as the Spirit was leading, uh, spoke up and said, we need each other. There's a specific thing about lowering each other down with ropes. Remember that? From like Luke or Matthew or somewhere? About lowering each other down from the ceiling. And it said, uh, because of their faith, God, Jesus turned to the man and said, your sins are forgiven. And this is a call for other people to invest in, in, in our lives. So we need each other desperately. Here, we are called to build each other up in the most holy faith. You know what that means? It's simple. Hey, we need each other. There's going to be times that you need to text somebody and somebody needs to text you a Bible verse. Ryan Deaton called me up the other day. Like, I love it. We're buddies now. We work together, so we text and stuff. Funny things back and forth. That's true friendship, by the way. If you're getting to the point where you're texting funny things back and forth and the GIFs or GIFs or whatever they're called, that's how you know you're really good friends, okay? Um, and if you really want to do something that, makes Aunt, that will make Andy know that you really are, are, are tender toward him and really love him, send him a bunch of pictures of bears, okay? He's terrified of bears, but he will see it as a term of endearment, okay? So send him pictures of bears. If you really love each other, you send each other texts. But uh, Ryan called me, and he was just so encouraging because he was talking to me about his time with the Lord that day and what God was showing him. It's like, man, I needed that. And he needs that. He needs outlets for that. And we need that for each other. We have these amazing technologies in front of us that can be so misused. But it's a wonderful tool that we can be able to call each other, text each other, say, hey, how are you doing? Also, studying the Bible together. When we do women's Bible study, ladies' Bible study, you are building yourself up in the faith. When we do one-on-one -on -one discipleship, if we're going to keep ourselves in the love of God, we need people around us to come alongside and say, hey, you know what? We're studying the Bible together, praying together, and look at this nugget of truth I found about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And friends, if we don't have that, we will be isolated, we will be alone, and we will wonder why we're doubting God's love to us. If you want to doubt the love of God, just be alone a lot. 
Don't let other people speak into your life. Just let your life go. Just, hey, I'm just me and Jesus kind of thing. We need each other. And if we're going to follow this command of keeping ourselves in the love of Jesus Christ, then, Carlene, I need you. And you need me. Paul, I need you. And you need me. We need each other to speak the truth and build each other up in the most holy faith. I love the passing of the peace that we do every single week. Because when we tell people, what was you just said? I forgot. Jesus is your rest. Anybody need some rest? Justin, James, me, some people. It's Jordan, I mean, pregnant ladies, moms, whoever, dads, grandparents. We need rest. And so when we come alongside and say, hey, Jesus is your rest, that's not just a tradition. That's not just something to do to fill up the time. That's trying to build each other up. Building each other up in the most holy faith. Keep yourself in the faith. So number one is build each other up in the most holy faith. When we do that, when, when we build each other up, it's like the love of God is inflamed in our hearts. It's like we get re-centered or re-encouraged. Oh yes, 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 okay. I am forgiven. God does love me. I don't need to be condemned. We need to hear those sorts of things. So number one, build each other up in the most holy faith if we're going to keep ourselves in the love of God. Number two, it says, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Now remember, this is not an individual command. It is a corporate command. Do you realize that we, one, have the Holy Spirit, but we need the Holy Spirit every single day? The Holy Spirit dwells within you. It's convicting you of sin. Not condemning you of sin. The Holy Spirit is pointing you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit, as you open your Bible, is helping you understand this book. The Holy Spirit gifts you in certain ways, supernaturally, to be able to help each other out, to point each other to the truth. We need the work of the Holy Spirit. And we are called to corporately pray together by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we have our corporate share time, I see this as a part of that. I love that we didn't do it specifically today. When we have this time, the whole idea is that the Holy Spirit would lead it. We don't control it. We want to specifically plan through the leading of the Holy Spirit. We want to plan spontaneity. Plan that this is a time we don't have any control over it. This is just the Holy Spirit at work. And if the Holy Spirit wants to do something here to point us to Jesus in a unique way, then we want to be sensitive enough to follow that leading. The Holy Spirit prompting us in that way. When we are praying together in the Holy Spirit, when we're at small group praying for each other, when we're here on a Sunday morning during the prayer times, after the service, if you feel led to go and pray for somebody, you know what the Holy Spirit is doing? The Holy Spirit is helping you keep in the love of God. The Holy Spirit loves to put a spotlight on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The Spirit leads us to Jesus together. John chapter 16, verse 12 through 15 says this. I still have many things to say to you. This is Jesus. But you can't bear to hear them now when the Spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He speaks, 
He will speak and He will declare to you the things that are, not yet, that are, that are to come. And Listen to this key verse. He will glorify Me. For He will take what is Mine and He will declare it to you. And so, when this command, keep yourself in the love of God, is given, the Spirit leads Jude into these three specific things. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. Pray, pray, pray in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit together. And as we do that, the Spirit is leading us to Christ, not away from Christ. A Spirit-led life is not a life that needs Jesus less. A Spirit-led life is a life who knows how much more they need Jesus today than they did yesterday. And so as the Spirit's doing that together, you know what happens? We all love Jesus more. We all understand the work of God and the love of God more. The Spirit's leading us to the love of God. So we are to do this. We are praying together to keep ourselves in the love of God. We're hearing each other pray about God's love and forgiveness. And when we're struggling, I'm struggling, I need help right now, and somebody in the church comes and prays for you, we are helping you to stay in the love of God. To posture yourself underneath it. Third, the third key or third modifier put to the command keep yourselves in the love of God is found in the second half of verse 21. It's waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Um, so much of our, so much of fear, not all of it, okay, but so much of, of fear and anxiety depression in our world today. Not all of it. There are, I've been a counselor and, and worked with people who with, with severe, legitimate, clinical issues. This is not to undermine that. But much of what people say is depression and anxiety. <clears throat> and much of our um, frustration in life and the discord in our life, whatever it may be, comes and grows. The roots find itself in this one word, impatience. Impatience. Our world gives us everything we want now. Have you tried to check your email or got on, online to try to get a restaurant phone number or something like that and the Wi-Fi not work? And you have to, you have to push the Wi-Fi button to get your 4G to come on. How appalling. We have to wait an extra 15 seconds to get the number because the Wi-Fi is out for 20 seconds. We live in a world with instant information. It's just there. We can get what we want now. And unfortunately, much of bad Christian teaching is built on the idea that Christians shouldn't have to wait on anything. More than non-believers, you should have everything right now. After all, God has purchased all of this for you in Christ. And you should have it right now. And if you don't have it, it's not because God doesn't want to give it to you right now. It's because you're not apprehending it. It's because you're not taking it. It's, not, it's because you're not claiming it. It's because you're not declaring it. Okay? Bad teaching is built on the impatience of people and it says that God operates according to our timeline. And if you're not getting what you want or what you think you need right now, it's not God's fault. It's your fault. But the Bible says 
Together we wait. We're waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Um, We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Right now, every spiritual blessing. But we are not blessed with every physical blessing in the heavenly places until Christ returns. And there's a day that the Christian in poverty will be a ruler and a king on this earth. But we have to wait. Kale, I'll steal an example from Kale. Kale was preaching on this. Uh, he said that the uh, Princess Diana, remember Princess Diana? She had two boys, Prince uh, whatever. They're always in the tabloids now. They're getting married and having kids. Um, they, they had like an endowment or they had an uh, inheritance that was, for, was left for them, but they couldn't get it until they were 30. Okay, if, if this isn't true, blame Kale because I got it from him. Okay, the point still is helpful. They had a possession. That it was something that was theirs. It was promised. It was guaranteed. But they couldn't get it until it was, they were 30. It was already theirs, but they couldn't yet have it. And friends, there are things coming to us. There is mercy coming to us. There is more for us. In the right time. And we are called together to wait on those things and look forward to those things, waiting on the mercy for the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So corporately, it seems as if if we're to keep ourselves in the love of God, we are to consider things like future grace, future love, future mercy. We are to consider the things that are not yet ours in Christ, think about them often and call our attention to it. The implications are huge. I've said it to you before. If you're going to inherit the earth, why do you need a boat now? And if you have a boat, please let me borrow it. I'd love to go to the lake and use it. Boats aren't bad. But the point is, if the insatiable desire for more, you don't have to have that insatiable desire for more. You are the kings of the earth in time. And we wait. We learn patience. We learn to be people that are different than the people in the world who look around and want everything now. And we don't buy the lie that we have to have everything now. We look ahead and we say, you know what? God has more for me. And if God has more for me for eternity, if this earth is mine to be a keeper of it for the glory of the Lord if I know that I have eternal love coming my way, eternal mercy coming my way, eternal peace of mind coming my way, I'll repeat, eternal peace of mind coming my way. It's tremendously helpful right now. You have eternal life because of God's love. So everything you worry about right now, everything that captures your attention, your anxieties and your fears, listen to me. It's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. It's going to work out. You're in God's hands. He loves you. So keep yourself in that love. Think about it often. Don't run from it. Don't get out from under it. Step under it and stay there. And then we as a group, let's bring our, each other in and say, hey, hey, let's gather under the love of God and let's just talk about it for a little bit. Do you know God loves you? Have you heard that today? If we're going to keep ourselves in the love of God, we want to build each other up. We want to pray in the Holy Spirit. 
And we want to wait together for the mercy of the Lord Jesus that's going to be revealed. We see a few final instructions that are given to us. It's kind of almost like it's tag-ons or in the end. Oh yeah, here's a few more things. He says this. Final instructions, verse 22. Look, and, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Have mercy on those who doubt. Here's the thing. There's always going to be in our midst people would talk about the love of God, talk about the love of God, and there's always going to be some, and even myself, all of us included, we're going to say, really? But really? God loves me? And we're talking about it? And it's just like our kids, when we tell them to clean their room, it goes in one ear and out the other. It's like God loves you, and it goes in one ear, out the other. And we're, we're called for those who are just perpetually struggling with this. God love me. Does He care? Am I really forgiven? Am I really is? Or have mercy on those who doubt. Is the Bible really true? Can I really trust God? Is He really for my good? Have mercy on those who doubt. Do I really matter to Him? Is there really purpose in my life? I'm really struggling as a parent. I really need help. Am I, am I gonna, am my kids going to end up in prison because of me? I'm, am I doing this the right way? Have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy. There's mercy for you. There's mercy Those who have received mercy, freely give mercy. And this command is so much more than a tag on because it's an overflow of what we have received in the love of God. As we're under the love of God, we want to give and receive mercy. We want to give mercy. And the body of Christ does not belittle or condemn brothers and sisters who doubt the love of God. We have mercy on them. We don't punch them or kick them while they're down. Gentle compassion flows from those who are humbly confident in Christ. And it goes in the direction of doubters. Christian brother or sister, if you're doubting, there's mercy for you. We're told in verse 23 to save others. To those who know the love of God, we desire others to know the love of God. And we bring the Gospel to sinners and we snatch them out of the fire. If there's anybody here who doesn't know the love of God in Christ, we want you to know that this morning. God loves sinners. And He goes into enemy territory. The Word became flesh. Enemy territory. And dwelt among us to save His enemies. And if you don't know God, if you don't know Jesus, the call this morning is to repent of your sins and trust in His work for you. God loves sinners. And He sent Jesus to communicate as much. And if you don't know Him, we want you to. And then verse 23, show mercy with fear to those who love God to those who love God we hate sin and we warn other believers about the dangers of sin it says in verse 23 save others by snatching them out of the fire to others show mercy with fear hating even the garment stayed by the flesh here's the deal we hate sin we hate it we hate it all forms of it there's going to be one a day. And this day, again, Ryan and I were talking about this, delivering bread, four in the morning, talking about God's mercy in His love. Imagine your life with no sin. None. How wonderful would that be? No struggle. You hear the command, don't be anxious about anything, and you're not anxious the rest of your life. No sin. Lust. Anxieties, all of that gone. How wonderful would that be? We hate sin. And we want, 
what I just described. We want people to walk in freedom. We don't want people to sin. It is not good for us. It's destructive. And we hate it. Jesus died for sinners and He died for sins. And so we want to walk together and help each other not sin. Sin is bondage. And Jesus broke the power of sin over lives. So we want to help each other to hate it first. And then slowly, by God's grace, the rest of our lives walk away from it. And friends, that is a lifelong pursuit. So we have set before us instruction to the church. Keep yourself in the love of God. Have mercy on those who doubt. Snatch others by saving them out of fire. And then hate sin. We have commands. So this hits believers this morning, this Christmas Eve, as we think about this. On this Christmas Eve, I want us to call our attention as we sing here in a second to the love of God. Set before us. Keep it constantly in view. Exercise our faith on it. Firmly entrust our lives to it. And let's meditate on the love of God in Christ Jesus and give ourselves up wholly to thinking about it. As they come and sing, Think about the fact, the truth, that the God of the universe loves you. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. He loves you. And for the non-believer, for those who don't know the love of God, it's set before you this morning in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the life that we should have lived, and He died the death that we should have died. So as we sin, as we break even parents' commands, as we violate the laws, we do things we shouldn't do, Jesus came and He did everything that He should have done. He obeyed His Heavenly Father perfect. Every moment of every single day, He really loved His Heavenly Father with all His heart, soul, mind, and strength. And He did that in our place. He lived that life in our place, a substitute life. And then He died on the place, in the place of sinners just like you and me. And He took the judgment that we earned with our lives. Because we have not earned good from God. We have earned a judgment from God. Jesus died in our place for our sins. And then He overcame Satan, sin, and death. He rose from the grave and He lives forevermore. And if you would believe that message, if you would repent of your sins, say, God, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. Turn and say, Jesus, I love you. You'll find that God Himself has saved you. It's a beautiful good news, the Gospel of Jesus. So simple and so profound. Father, we thank You. We turn our mind consciously to Your love and we want to keep ourselves in Your love this morning. We want to consider it, think about it, dwell on it, ponder it. Uh, just, just love Your love. Thank You that You love us. We consider it. We think about it. We worship You for it. Father, thank You for loving us in Christ Jesus. Help us to sing. Help these words just move us in our hearts. Help us to even sing in the Spirit, singing about the glories of Jesus. Just lead us, Holy Spirit. I trust that you will. Amen. Let's worship.